we are in a, a hodgepodge of regulation across this country. It is truly the Wild West. I can do one thing in one state, but I can't cross in another state to do that. Or if I skip two states over, I can do this. I don't know who wants to be first, but somebody has to say, we need systemic understanding across the board. We need a level playing field. We need federal regulation. What happened in the last administration and the administration before that was really punting. Hello and welcome to the Atomicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, uh, the founder of the Human Driving Association, um, Director of Special Operations for Argo AI, which I do not represent on this show, uh, and the producer of Apex, The Secret Race Across America. Uh, I could go on and on. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk with our guest, um, whom I had heard about several different places and uh, is also a lecturer and a professor at a school I went to for a year. Uh, and I'm so thrilled that she's on because Riley Brennan, friend of the show, um, said to me, have you ever spoken to Salika Talbot? She's a very, very smart and interesting person. You should talk to her. And then I did. And then I realized that Ed had already had her on a PAVE panel, and she was very interesting. Um, Professor Talbot, thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Who wants to start? Because I'm ready to. Uh, Alex, as always, you should jump jump in. Okay. All right. Um, professor, uh, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your recent work and then talk about... Um, I guess you've written several columns in Forbes today that have uh, recently that have gotten a lot of traction, um, especially what the EV and AV community wants from a Biden administration. Okay, you yeah. just asked her like seven questions. But, <laughs> yeah, so that's, about my, that's my move. All right, so so let me try to piece together at least some of what it is that you've asked me, and if I don't get it all, you'll you'll clue me back in on what I missed. Um, I'm happy to be at American University. I am lecturing, researching, and writing on the areas of mostly autonomous, but also electric vehicles. This idea of equity in transportation, emerging technology, and that intersection between the regulatory political environment and the populace. Well, that was a very diplomatic way of putting it. But you have um, gotten the attention of a lot of people uh, in your discussions of, of equity. Could you explain... What exactly equity means in the context of transportation? A lot of people cite it, they drop it, but a lot of people listening don't know what it means. And I have to tell you, um, you know, I practiced as an attorney for 18 years. I was in state government and federal government. And my idea all along of what equity was has changed substantially in the last year. When we look at transportation in general, we, we always think of the spot that we're in, the people who are planning cities and the people who are coming up with this interesting and cool, innovative technology aren't struggling to get to their job. They're not having issues finding good food resources. They're not worried about getting to their local doctor's appointment because they have transportation options available to them. This equity in transportation says, 
let's create a playing field for everyone that allows them to have these basic rights, the ability to hold a good job and be able to take care of your family. The idea that you can physically get to the doctor when you need it, and not just when it's in urgent or acute care, but for regular health maintenance. We as a country have created a transportation network, a system that doesn't work for everybody. And the idea of equity and transportation is at this crossroads where we have all this emerging stuff going on, let's, let's just pull it all apart and start over and make sure we need, meet the needs of our citizenry. So um, are you advocating then for um, a set of policies for any company that wants to operate, say, in a city? Um, or are you, or is it broader than that? I mean, because one of the things that you mentioned to me as key was that the folks developing this don't have necessarily transportation issues. And we see this oftentimes in tech, right? Um, what happens when a homogenous group is working on technology that then they put out to the world to a much more diverse group? And so it's a, it's, it's an ed question, which is I talk a lot and then I like ask like seven questions. So it's <laughs> channeling him, but, I'm, but I guess the, the, the question I want to ask is, is it a policy, uh, you know, solution or is it much more complicated than that? And it, and also includes like how companies are hiring, um, who's working on the tech? Well, yes, yes. And yes. Um, Sure, it's uh, immediate in terms of who's working on the tech and government has a, a, a place in it. But who are the decision makers? If you look at a lot of the startups, if you look a lot of these OEMs who are working on you know, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles, who's sitting on their boards? Who's in the C-suite? Are these even issues that they think of? We should start with is there a problem that's being solved? Because if there's no problem being solved, then we're creating toys, right? And it'll be toys for really wealthy people and it doesn't help the, the populace as a whole. And then if that's the case, we don't really need government intervention and we don't need government money. And you go tinker and play with your toys and, and your friends and you will all have a good time. But that's not really what autonomous or electric vehicles are about. This, this um, notion of how to address transportation holistically requires buy-in from everybody. Government and the people are not the same thing. So government and the regulatory bodies need to be involved. Industry needs to be involved. And for the love of God, if we're allegedly coming up with solutions to solve issues that face everyday man, then we should definitely involve the public and we're not doing that, not in any meaningful way. And so all of these things have to come together. And, and if you're at a company where you're coming up with this wonderful technology, and I believe we're at the cusp of it, we have to look across the board at how it will implicate um, good and bad things in our lives. It includes trucking. It includes mass transportation. It includes robo-taxis. It includes the people who want to have a toy because they can afford it but it's everything. One of the things that, that seems to be really different about our country and, and how we approach um, 
mobility and, and have sort of historically versus a lot of other places is just sort of where, and, and, you know, a lot of potential explanations or, or reasons for this, but, but we tend to have a very individualistic approach to it. Right. I mean, um, uh, versus, you know, it cars, like cars are, are sort of seen as this, you know, individual thing. It's, it's you, it's you, it's your car. It can go anywhere. It's, you know, it needs fuel, but there's gas. everywhere. It's, it's not, we tend not to think of ourselves as being part of a broader system when we, when we move. And I think a lot of other places, right. There's just sort of a more, even if it's just an awareness that, you know, we're part of this collective thing that everyone's sort of trying to negotiate public space. Um, is that, is that, does that at a fundamental level need to change? Um, is that, is that part of this? I mean, it, because, you know, the, the deeper you get into this sort of, you know, national character and sort of just how we are used to doing things, the more profound the change you can create, but also, right, the, the harder it is because getting people to change their personality is like, you know, one of the hardest things possible. So like how, how deep into that sort of fundamental question of, of sort of collective versus individualism, like, do we need to go to really have an impact on this in your view? Listen, I, I think that there's a beauty in the selfishness to some degree, right? Um, what we can realize here is that what is good for everybody is good for me individually. What's good for business is still good for the government. And stop deciding that we're going to pit one against the other, or it has to be one side or the other. The example that I think we could even use, and this is why I think I've written about it a couple of times, probably write about it again soon, is, is using electric vehicles as a roadmap to how we get to autonomous vehicles. I have garnered a, um, a body of work around what I call the political economy of. So the political economy of autonomous vehicles, the political economy of electric vehicles. This notion that the economy, that the, the value of goods and services coupled with government regulatory intervention or thought is how we piece together a roadmap for moving forward on autonomous vehicles. Government is, is selfish. I see, I say I wasn't going to say bad things about the government, but I used to be from the government, so I could say this. They are very often only moved by the moneyed. The biggest voice in the room is generally the biggest pocket. In, when you look at autonomous vehicles, at least to date, the pocket has been speaking, right? So we have a lot of people putting billions, not millions, but billions of dollars into the autonomous vehicle sector. So government doesn't want to prevent that, right? We want to, there's money that's flowing. People have lobbyists. We're giving money to candidates so that you don't stop me from my ability to um, test and pilot this, this new innovation. But government doesn't have a groundswell of, of the people saying we want autonomous vehicles because people don't really even understand that. But if you look at electric vehicles, people have really understood the, the basic impact of the congestion of cars on the roadway. We understand that gasoline is not sustainable. We know that this gas tax joke that we have going on, which hasn't been raised since 1993 and wasn't adjusted for inflation, doesn't allow us to repair our bridges and our, and our roadways. The, the everyday man, I could go into an elementary school and find a fifth grader who understands environmental concerns. And because of that, that groundswell, we not only have people saying we got to do something, we have to be better. We have government co-signing 
to say we're going to sign executive orders and mandate it. And the federal government is going to put tax dollars behind it. That's what we need in the autonomous vehicle industry. But what we have so far is a a monolithic group who's all together saying, you know, we're going to build this really great stuff. And when we get it all built, the people are going to come and want it. And that is not going to happen. Not that way. What what has the reaction been from the autonomous vehicle industry to your ideas? I mean, do you have, I mean, obviously you've talked to Alex before, but without getting his employer involved, I mean, just in general, has it been, there have been pushback or is there actually some people who have popped up who you think will tru- understand what you're getting at and have provided solutions? I, I- I won't say that people are rushing to my door, but I know that people are listening. Um, I, I wrote a piece about what, uh, you know, Alex mentioned it before, about what the AV and EV community wants from uh, Pete Buttigieg. And I got to tell you, when I listened to his hearing, I thought he must have had my article in front of him as he answered questions. And I, I see his tweets and his comments, and it's very much in line with. The problem there, though, is it is not a Department of Transportation issue. I worked there. Um, I can tell you, A, the government doesn't believe the industry. And the industry hasn't always been honest with the general people and certainly not honest with the government. I won't name Ed's uh, favorite nemesis, but we, we have to be honest. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not getting in trouble with those people. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dollar for every time I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) We're touting something that doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. So you have people who are saying we've reached level four, we've reached level five, and you haven't. So government doesn't believe you. I have sat on working groups across the country in um, national level and even international who say that people in the industry are overstating the capabilities and it's not going to happen in our lifetime. I've sat on working groups where the very government who is heading the working group, who is supposed to aid in this pursuit, have said, we don't believe this. We don't think it's going to happen. There's, there's an issue that that bridge has to be met. We have to convince the regulators and government people that it's not just overstatement. And sometimes then that means maybe we just talk about all the benefits of level two and the benefits of of level four and, and where we reasonably think we can get there and what we can do for society as a whole, even if, even at the lower levels of autonomy. So what's actionable? I mean, what, what are you proposing that, that you and people who feel this way join the companies or to guide them towards these outcomes or, and, or some type of regulation? I mean, what is, what is it? What's the answer here? Well, so I'll take them to two different things. One, in terms of what the companies need. Every company should have somebody on their board, in their C-suite, who is addressing these issues. Who's This, um, I'm going to build it and they'll come. We, we kind of all understand here, theoretically, it doesn't work. But it doesn't mean that they're not actions that you can take. I ran campaigns for years, political campaigns. I was a part of, of, you know, local government in a township. I like to use this analogy of 
when a builder comes to a local township and says, I want to put up a building, the township usually instantly balks, right? Not in my neighborhood. We don't have space for it. We can't do it. The town usually gives some reason. I can't do it because we can't let you build because our schools are overcrowded. So the builder says, I'll build a school. And then the town realizes they're going to get some more out of this. So the town says, but you're going to knock down all these trees and we like to have trees in our neighborhood. We want it to look a certain way. And the builder says, if you let me build my building, I'll build a school and I will put up new trees. And the town says, yeah, but then there'll be no park for our people to play in. Are we going to add all these kids to this environment? We need a park. Builder says, I'll build a school. I'll put up trees. I'll give you a park. Guess what happens across America? They get their buildings. If you're in the autonomous vehicle industry, you need the groundswell of the people. Build it like a campaign. What are you offering neighborhoods? That you're going to drive around them? That, what is that doing for the neighborhood? It's doing nothing. What incentive are you giving to people to be encouraged by this so that instead of an alliance knocking on the door of your favorite senator or congressman, you have people emailing and calling and saying, we want this technology and we want it now. That's the difference. In terms of regulation, I ran a state DMV. We are in a, a hodgepodge of regulation across this country. It is truly the Wild West. I can do one thing in one state, but I can't cross in another state to do that. Or if I skip two states over, I can do this. I don't know who wants to be first, but somebody has to say, we need systemic understanding across the board. We need a level playing field. We need federal regulation. What happened in the last administration and the administration before that was really punting. We're going to give you a little policy and a little guidance. Okay, but what does it mean? All right, well, we don't want to impede innovation, but we want to make sure that there's still safety. So I come from Federal Motor Carrier, where when we want an exemption, when, it, when a company comes to the government and says, we want an exemption from a rule, the bar is, are you as safe as or better? The bar is not perfection. Yet we seem to think that that's what was required for autonomous vehicles. Why is the industry not pushing back and saying 40,000 people die each year on the roadway? We are not going to guarantee that no one will die, but we can assure you we won't be killing at the rate that vehicles are today. Isn't, isn't one of the issues here, and, and it, the way I've always thought of regulation, is that if you don't have some kind of regulatory framework that a lot of things end up getting settled by courtrooms, right, in, in, in lawsuits, right? And, and I think that, may, that might be one of the answers. I mean, right, like the, it seems to be one of the conundrums uh, is, is, you know, it's not clear sort of what the legal liability might be, um, it, you know, if and when people do start, start dying um, from AVs. I think there are also sort of development you know, safety culture reasons why they're being as conservative as they're being. But I think a big part of it is we've had, um, you know, AV developers say on this on this show that basically, you know, we don't really know what society will accept in terms of robots killing people. It's not something we really have precedent for. And frankly, when you have billions of dollars invested in your company, billion dollars, billions of dollars on the line, do, you know, do you want to find out? I mean, do you want to find out even if well, hang on a second? Hold on a minute. We do have some experience here because 
elevators, my area of expertise, well, I don't know. Um, the elevators, each year, there's a very, you know, a handful of people are killed in uh, elevator accidents. And, and so there is, and I don't know, Professor, maybe you know, is, is, is elevator safety, are elevator safety inspections federalized or they, is it, does anyone know? Well, the, the whole notion around this is product liability. So I was a product liability defense lawyer. Tell us more. <laughs> um, the, the issues are, is it doing what it was designed to do? Has it been manufactured in the way that it was according to the specifications? When you have crashes on the roadways every day, the vehicle is, has been designed as it was intended. It is manufactured according to the specification, specifications of the design, and yet still there's a crash. There is some intervention. It is the intervention that brings forth the tort. So this notion of we're not going to, we're afraid to take that next step because we don't know the liability in almost every invention, whether it's an elevator or I did heavy machinery um, and OEMs back in the day, the, the issues will certainly be litigated, but it never prevented anybody from moving forward with innovation. The insurance company will determine what the risk is. And that risk is how you, you look at the liability of the companies. It, it can't be any more than what is there now. You're a fallible human. We know that you're prone to distraction. We let you drive on the roadway each day. And in fact, some of these issues are more exacerbated in terms of your distraction and poor driving as you become older, and yet your insurance is less. It's not that that's the reason, it's the excuse. We can litigate around this. We can find ways to balance risk through insurance companies because we do that now. But we know that the bar says that these vehicles will be at least as safe, if not safer. And that should be sufficient. When, when you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the patchwork of regulations, uh, which is very clear in the United States, and a, and a need to go away from just guidelines and really set policy what do you think the most likely way for that is going to be to, to be successful? Is it going to take um, a bipartisan sort of lawmaker stepping up and putting forward legislation? Or is it a better path and a more successful path to come from the administration first, dictate policy like through that, you know, Department of Transportation and and go that route? That's a it's a difficult question, really, because. The Department of Transportation doesn't have the wherewithal. It's why we don't have a specific safety, um, you know, ceiling or floor when it comes to autonomous vehicles. The, the Department of Transportation is outsourcing most of their um, research and technology to universities around the country. Asking them to determine if the vehicle is safe enough when you don't have the staff on board to determine that safety is not even reasonable. And so are they going to outsource it to a university to, to make that determination? Likely not. And I'll tell you, there are swaths of people within the department who are not um, eager for autonomous vehicles. There's a notion among some that it will put people out of business and therefore it shouldn't happen. 
um, without looking at the other side, that it will create business and create jobs. Um, we have to have legislation. I don't think even a um, executive order, this you know, rule of the pen, as I call it, is going to be enough. States like the idea that they can determine who and how people can be on their roadways. And the, the, the only time where you have the, you know, sort of this greatest federal intervention is when you have um, CDL driven large uh, motor coach buses and trucks. That's where the federal government has sort of said, this 80,000 pound vehicle requires federal intervention and requires the federal government to set a standard. And if we're looking at autonomous vehicles, as this technology is in some ways being really concentrated in the large uh, heavy duty truck area, then the federal government is going to have to say in turn to their legislators, we have to have some rule, some standard regulation that allows these trucks to go from state to state to state in order just to, to meet the problems that we have today. Trucking is an $800 billion industry. More than 70% of everything that you see in your environment came on a truck at some point. But the average truck driver is 57 years old. And people aren't going into that as a line of work, as a profession anymore. And Americans want their goods and they want it faster to their doorsteps more than ever. There, if there's going to be a groundswell, it's going to come in saying, yeah, I'm okay with the autonomous truck on the highway going from one point to the next so our goods can be moved quicker. And I think you might get some buy-in from your legislators on that. But in states, the 29 states where the number one job is a truck driver, we're going to have to figure out workforce issues before you can get those legislators to sign on to any new regulation. I had a, a quick follow-up to that. So is a better path perhaps than almost targeting sectors, like you mentioned with trucking, as first of all, it's interstate travel, you know, so it you, you see the need for a federal regulation. So instead of saying, let's create this autonomous vehicle, gui or not guidelines, but regulations, instead it's a slice. So first trucking and then other areas, or is that a big mistake? Because even though it might be easier to get that done, it creates a different kind of patchwork because it's slices of the industry as opposed to tackling it all at once. Um, but again, you know, I, I keep saying bad things about government, but they don't like to take on big things all at once because they create bills and then they don't read what's in the bills and then they're unhappy when those bills are enacted. So maybe the better thing is the slice. We already as a nation have a carve out for large trucks and buses. We already have a, an entirely different set of principles in terms of who can drive, how you can drive, the parameters of that vehicle. And we have 13,000 law enforcement officers across the nation whose job it is just to enforce those regulations. The reason why I think trucking is a natural first step is because we already have an agency within the Department of Transportation whose sole focus is large heavy duty trucks and motor coach buses. And that's the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. They're designed to regulate and support safety in that particular industry. They grant waivers and exemptions to the laws that exist. 
And those laws and regulations, each state must abide by. There are grants. There's also state and federal oversight in each one of the 50 states to make sure that those who are using these kinds of transportation are doing so in as safe and reasonable manner as possible. If we said to the federal government, let's, let's, let's try this first, they could even create carve-outs. Anyone who's driving uh, you know, these, these vehicles, these motor, coach, um, motor carrier vehicles, has to have a CDL. Well, let's look at what that CDL means and make sure that all the artificial intelligence is meeting the same requirements as the CDL holder. And for the comfort of the public in the beginning, you might create carve-outs even in that sector to say, if you have livestock, something alive above, you know, on your truck, we still want a, a, a human being to be on that. Or if you're hauling um, hazardous materials, we're still going to want a human being to be on board that truck. But everybody else, we're going to allow you to begin to operate autonomously and put in the kind of um, the kind of safety barriers and regulation that makes it easier to move forward in this manner. It's not a tall order, and it's especially needed because we see this great shortage in truck drivers. They say that the shortage is around 100,000 each year in diminishing numbers of truck drivers across the market. And it's, again, as I said, this is not a profession that people want to go into anymore. You don't want to displace somebody. And if you started as a truck driver today, my old boss used to say, you will end your career as a truck driver. But in the meantime, let's address some of this low-hanging fruit and move forward on regulation in this area. So if you were to tackle trucking first, and if you were to take this approach, what would then be the next natural slice, if you will, to try and go after in terms of regulations at a federal level, not just a patchwork? Well, anything that moves the larger body. So not me and my personal toy driving in and out of my uh, McMansion, but you know, mass transportation. This is another way that we can begin to address some of these ills that are existing in society. We know sustainability is a huge issue. We know congestion in major cities is a huge issue. What we've done by creating the Uber and Lyft model across our cities is create greater congestion. If we had autonomous vehicles that were moving people in groups, we would begin to at least address some of those ills. So I think that would be a, a next natural step for us. I, I kind of want to um, step back from the the sort of specifics of of regulation, kind of ask a, a sort of more broad like governance question. And and that is, you know, I mean, I, I think we probably all agree here that you know, um, sort of the more uh, diverse and representative. Uh, of voices that you can engage on any issue, sort of uh, the more equitable, roughly the the outcome, you know, sort of tends to be. And um, you know, the the real challenge that um, I keep coming up against with 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 this is, and I mean, it's my job is is that you know, is the education piece is that is that people people's understanding, the public's understanding of this technology, uh, its potential impacts. Um, it, 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 it's not only, you know, we're not really doing enough to teach people, but there's also so much misinformation out there um, coming from a variety of sources. It's hard to know what to believe. What is it going to take to sort of, you know, get us to a place where um, the baseline of understanding is 
sufficient or, or, or do we need to be thinking about these conversations differently? Um, uh, identifying and, and empowering stakeholders to, to create that more diverse um, and, and representative uh, conversation, discourse about this to, to drive these equitable outcomes. How, how, do, how do we deal with that? Um, you know, with almost anything in society, we see the biggest impact when we educate our children. So instead of trying to figure out how to get to the, the me's, the 50-somethings and the, and the 60-somethings um, who may not see this in its fullness, let's, let's start with kids in school. We have vehicles on the road today with highly assisted technology, and people don't even know what it is that they're driving. They don't know what it's called. They don't understand how to operate it. We, fundamentally, we have to, again, as I say, just pull it all apart and go very basic. In schools across America, you have to take a driving test. Even when kids don't want to take that driving test because less of them are, are using personal vehicles, it can still be mandated as a course in school. The questions can be mandated if you want to drive. There are oversight boards, um, especially AMVA, the Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, the American Association. They state what should be on these tests. We should start requiring this kind of information very early on so that we can bring along a society that is aware of what we're at the cusp of. We've done this with health issues. We've done this with social issues. And I think transportation is a fundamental part of our lives. You can't, transportation is mobility and mobility is freedom. Without transportation, you can't do anything. So let's go back and start with the kids with this education. That makes a lot of sense too, because the, the tech is just creeping, inching into commercial operations in a way that by the time these kids are in their 20s or making policy, taking jobs to make policy decisions of their own and starting to really becoming an active part of society, commercial operations will have scaled to um, a greater degree, right? So it, it makes sense to do that approach. Although I would say that my push, only pushback is that I, I do think that there is the, the decision makers today aren't kids. They are, you know, people's in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And so they definitely need education too, because they're oftentimes propagating like misinformation and bad policy, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of it is, is sheer ignorance. Um, they're just not aware of some of these ills that we already have baked into our transportation system. What I have done for a couple of companies um, is go in and just do a basic um, sort of a one-hour class with the body of their company. They say, here are some of the things that we see in transportation. Here are some of the ills that have existed over the years and the consequences as a result of those. And now that you're building new transportation, you need to avoid it. And here are some of the ways that you avoid it. Because if not, as I said, what we have is people who come in from the suburbs into a city to do city planning and then go back to the suburbs. They're not, they're not impacted by the choices that they're making or that we always think of cities. And we don't understand that transportation in some ways is even worse in rural communities because of the distance for them to travel for goods and services. And we need to start addressing 
those just as readily as we want to talk about issues in urban environments. Yeah. I mean, but do you think it's in in terms of doing this education? I mean, and sorry to to hijack this and talk about my work, but I I feel like every day I, I need I need all the help I can get because it's just, it's very intimidating, very challenging. Let's not make this into a cave conversation. (laughs) Questions I have. Well, no, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's how much do people need to know about what, like, what are the most important things? Like, right. Does it matter how light our works? Maybe like that can help maybe in, in, in certain areas, but I think it kind of depends on, right. Like, like how you are a stakeholder in AVs. Right. And I think that there are some people uh, who could be really great. Um, you know, stakeholders in AVs without really knowing necessarily a ton about um, the the technology itself. But then it, it sort of creates really interesting questions um, that maybe you can shed some some light on in terms of you know how do we approach education given you know different people are going to be interested in different things and and, and different aspects of AVs um, you know are are all very important to to look at and 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 discuss and and understand. Well, I think it's important for for everyone to sort of have a basic understanding. You don't need to be a technologist. I certainly am not. Um, But you understand the fundamentals. Um, We understand that something else, this artificial intelligence and these these sensors and technology are doing the viewing as opposed to the human eye. I think we should explain that because we don't want kids walking around kicking vehicles <laughs> and, um, and, and having this mistrust of something that's driving through their community. So a basic understanding is fine, but, but I am going to say again, the, the sort of social science, that regulatory, political, and legal understanding has to be at the table as well. Many of these companies are so embroiled in who, who else we're going to do a merger with. Who else are we going to have an agreement with or, or who else is going to come on board and we can say we're doing business with when they don't even understand the basics of the communities and environments that they're going to impact and affect? And it's not a part of the conversation. Their governance is simply about the dollar. But there is a benefit even to your bottom line to understand the regulatory legal and social aspects of these issues. So that, that I think the important part that you talk about when you say education, I think the education, you're right. It can't just be in the schools. It, the education also needs to be with who running these companies. Again, who is making the decisions? Who is informing you? And, and where, are you, where are you operating? How are you impacting the people that you're operating? What does it mean for the state next to you? When you say you've informed that this is one I love, we're working with the community. No, you're working with the government people in the community. That's not your community. When was the last time you got a flyer out and put flyers in people's doorways or got on their listserv and sent out an email and said, this is company blah, blah, and this is what these vehicles do, and this is the potential for these vehicles, and we're testing right now, and if you have questions, reach us here. If, if somebody gave me a magic wand, there are a lot of things I would ask for, but one of them I would ask for is a 90-second Super Bowl commercial space to talk about what autonomous vehicles will mean to America. If you want to really get to people, if you want to hit that public sentiment, public engagement is almost like we're doing battle, right? But public sentiment gets to the heart. 
We need to get to the heart. So that commercial is going to explain who's doing it, how it's being done, where it's being done, and above all else, how it can make your life better. Can you fit all that in 90 seconds? Yes, you can. <laughs> I can't wait to see what that would look like. So anyone listening, you know, there you go. If they want to hire me, I'll, I'll, help, I'll help step them through it. <laughs> yeah, use some of that venture money to uh, put together a Super Bowl spot. Um, well, I, I, I would love to just wrap up by asking how you are going to be pushing this forward in 2021, because you obviously have, are you going to continue to sort of do what you've been doing? Or do you have some very specific plans for 2021? There's a new administration, you're getting more attention, obviously. So um, what are you going to do to push these forward? Besides maybe, you know, tapping that, tapping that uh, tech, technologist or this AV founder who wants to develop a Super Bowl spot with you? <laughs> well, I think one of the things I still want to push for, and, and I'll say straight off the bat, the idea is not that it'd be me because um, I don't want to work for the government anymore. They need an, an AV czar. They need someone outside of the Department of Transportation who's taking a whole of government approach, someone who's housed with White House staff to look at autonomous vehicles and how it affects us holistically, working in conjunction with the Department of Transportation, the Department of Labor, Department of Energy. It's something that I, if I ever get a chance to speak, it's something I say often because I think it's necessary. DOT alone is not gonna get it done. But I'll continue to do research. I'll continue to work on issues regarding education and public sentiment. My goal is to, to get, um, a little bit more traction with some of these companies, whether they're OEMs or startups, to educate people um, who are decision makers on the, the additional things that they should be thinking of aside from the technology, who and how to engage with their communities so that when we get to the spot of where we've figured it out entirely, our technology is a go, that the rest of society is right there, ready to take that next step with them. So how do people... Um reach you then? Uh, you know, how, I, I'm sure you do a lot of reach out, but for anyone who's listening in our audience, you know, how do they reach out to you so that you can start having those conversations? Um, usually people reach out to me on LinkedIn, Salika Talbot, or um, at my American University uh, address, Salika T at American.edu. Great. And, and I just have one last, one last question. You say you're not interested in being the czar of AVs. Uh, if nominated, though, would you serve? Oh, what kind of a question is that? <laughs> <laughs> How about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve society in the best spot possible because I believe in the future of this technology. Great. Well, that's a, a wonderful place to wrap. And, um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing all that you do, uh, both with us as, as part of uh, PAVE's uh, uh, academic advisory council, but uh, also whatever else you're doing, um, it's it's great to have your your voice out here on on these really really important issues. Yeah, more importantly, her voice on the Atonicast. So, thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 